Hello. It's October 6th, 2023. My name is Simone, and this is 90s Crime Time. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time. And if you're new to 90s Crime Time, welcome to the show. Like always, I hope you all have had a great week so far and are looking forward to a great weekend, which is pretty much right now. I'm excited to be back and after the show, I have some pretty awesome announcements, I believe. So make sure you stay tuned until the end of the show to hear them. And also, today's episode is a case you may or may not have heard about since it made headlines again just a few years ago with an update. But just in case you haven't heard of this case, I'm bringing it to you now. Also, today's case is just plain awful. It's gross. It's grotesque. It's horrendous. Should have never happened. And it contains very graphic imagery and contains subjects of sexual assault and details of just a very, very violent and disgusting assault and murder. So therefore, listener's discretion is extremely advised. And with that, let's dive in to today's case. The year was 1994, and in the city of Arlington, Texas, lots of people here knew how to have a good time. Beginning back in the early 1960s, many residents of the city were excited when Six Flags Over Texas opened here in 1961. And as the years went on, Arlington began to see bigger and better things occur in their city. For instance, by the 80s, Arlington had many parks developed in the city for many families to unwind at. And by the 90s, an article states, quote, The 1990s saw a renewed interest in the revitalization of Arlington's downtown. It became a destination for those who appreciate the arts, end quote. Meaning that by the 90s, Arlington seemed to become a beautiful oasis, with dance and film theaters being built, housing becoming more expansive, and its downtown seeing a major upgrade. But in September 1994, an event so unspeakable would occur here that it would cross state lines and it would leave many in Texas and the surrounding areas shocked and fearful, wondering. Who could be so evil? In the following case, you'll find out what grisly event occurred here, the investigation and aftermath in a case I title, Grim Ride. (laughs) 
Although today's case takes place in 1994 in Arlington, Texas, let's go back a few months to 1993, almost 300 miles away in El Dorado, Arkansas. In December of 1993 in El Dorado, a local resident named Orlando Hall was at a severe crossroads. You see, even though he was only 22 by this time, he had already been in quite a bit of trouble. Although it's not clear when exactly, but sometime in the early 90s, Orlando had been known to local law enforcement for participating in illegal drug sales. Therefore, he was eventually sentenced to 17 years in prison for conspiracy to deliver cocaine. However, assuming due to good behavior, Orlando was released in December 1993, although it's unclear how many years he spent in prison. Despite this, Orlando needed to figure out how to make money and fast, because even at the tender age of 22, reports state he was already the father of six children. And maybe due to his record, Orlando decided to get money the fastest way he knew how, by selling drugs. This time, though, Orlando wouldn't be trafficking and distributing drugs. This time, he decided he would have a full-blown drug operation. Reports state that after his stint in prison, Orlando was banned from leaving the area or the state of Arkansas as a whole due to his parole. But he still had contacts within the drug game from different states and used his friends and his girlfriend to work for him. In Arkansas, Orlando started the small drug operation with his younger brother Demetrius and longtime fellow dealers named Bruce Webster and Marvin Holloway. In neighboring Texas, Orlando worked with his friend Stephen Beckley, who lived in Irving, Texas, and Stephen helped the trio buy marijuana specifically around bigger cities like Dallas and Houston. And then he'd transport the drugs to Pine Bluff, Arkansas, where Marvin lived, and then Marvin would store them in his house until they were ready to sell. Once, when Orlando wanted more, as mentioned before, he dispatched his girlfriend to buy the drugs. But the only time he did, things went left because reports state he gave his girlfriend $13,500 to travel to Houston, Texas, to buy bricks of cocaine so he could turn around and sell it. However, the plan failed when she was robbed of the money. Fearing this would be an occurrence with potential cocaine sales, Orlando decided to do business with just marijuana sales instead. And despite his parole, Orlando figured he would get the job done himself and travel to Texas to do business. When he got there in 1994, he met up with the middleman named Little Mike, and through him, he told Orlando he had quote-unquote connections with some immigrants from Jamaica who were allegedly veterans in the game. And their names were Stanfield Vitalis and his half-brother, 
Neil Renee. According to reports, Stanfield and Neil weren't actually from Jamaica, but were born and raised on the island of St. Croix, which is a part of the U.S. Virgin Islands. Not much is known about their early lives, but the brothers primarily lived in Arlington, Texas, with their sisters Pearl and Lisa, and Pearl's fiancé, in an apartment. The brothers once had a place of their own, but after they were busted for drugs in their original apartment, in August 1994, they were evicted and arrested, and they moved in with Pearl. However, even though they now had another roof over their head, Stanfield and Neil were still facing drug charges and needed money for a lawyer. So by the time Orlando got to Texas, Little Mike told the brothers about him, and he agreed to work as a middleman for Orlando and the brothers. However, just before the men all met, Little Mike was sent to jail for charges unknown. And reports state Orlando dealt with the brothers anyway for the first time on September 21, 1994, in the neighboring city of Irvine, Texas, at a car wash. There, the brothers told Orlando if he gave them $5,000, they would return with nine pounds of marijuana and to give them only 45 minutes to deliver the product to him. And Orlando agreed. But as the time went on and after 45 minutes had long passed, the brothers had not returned. Anxious about the deal, Orlando called the brothers angrily, asking them about what happened. Vitalis told him that he and Neil had been robbed of the money and their car by the apparent sellers. But he added that he and Neil had gotten their revenge and killed one of the robbers and were out looking for the other one. And that Orlando had nothing to worry about and he'd get his money back. However, as hours went by, Orlando grew skeptical if he was ever going to get his money back and at the story the brothers told him. Reports state that the next day on the 22nd, Orlando started to grow furious over the brothers' lack of communication. And after he tried to call them that morning, the cell phone that they used had been switched off. Now Orlando knew something was up, and he was getting angrier and angrier. So he called his buddies, Stephen and his brother Demetrius, and told them, quote-unquote, I'm not going back to Arkansas until I get my money, my drugs, or some blood on my hands. So in response to Orlando, Stephen got the home phone number for the brothers from Little Mike's girlfriend. After they got the number, reports state Orlando called a friend who worked for a phone company in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, to trace the number's address. The friend came back and told Orlando that the phone number matched at the Polo Run Apartments on Shuka Drive in Arlington, Texas. With this information, Orlando, Demetrius, and Stephen drove to the address, and when they pulled up, 
They saw the car the brothers claimed was stolen, parked outside with the for sale sign in its window. So by now, Orlando knew he had been played and he was at a point of no return. The brothers were about to pay for deceiving him. Reports state Orlando called a quote-unquote enforcer named Bruce B. Love Webster, who lived back in Arkansas, and told him he needed him for a job. Bruce flew to Texas on the morning of the 24th, and they planned on how they were going to get the brothers and the money back. And around 8 p.m. that evening, they headed for the Renee apartment, ready to take action. Meanwhile, at the apartment, the brother's 16-year-old sister, Lisa Renee, was at home alone doing homework. Reports state Lisa was a junior in high school and was the last of her siblings to move to the U.S. She moved to the U.S. to attend American schools and she planned to go to college after graduating and wanted to be a surgeon in her home country. As she was studying, Lisa heard what sounded like someone at the door. At first, she thought nothing of it, but then the noise continued, and she realized it sounded like someone was breaking in. Lisa called her sister Pearl, and told her what was going on. And then she called 911. Who, who are you? On the, who, who are you? Oh, yeah. oh they're the FBI. Oh, the they're the FBI. They said they're the FBI, ma'am. Ma'am! 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 Reports state that as Lisa was calling for help, three men broke into the apartment's sliding glass back door. Lisa screamed and her 911 call abruptly ended. Reports further state that even though the police responding to her call were only four minutes away, one of the men dragged her by her hair out of the apartment and into a waiting car. Inside the car was another man, and they were all dressed in camo outfits. Then they drove away with Lisa in tow. But the driver couldn't go too fast because the car had major mechanical trouble and could only go around 10 miles an hour, with the lights barely working. As the car slowly crept along, Reports state all four men screamed at Lisa, asking her where her brothers were. Lisa tearfully told them she didn't know what they were talking about, swore she didn't know about a botched drug deal, and said more than likely her brothers were in Houston. Houston. 
As the journey continued, the driver of the car panicked when he spotted a cop car near them on the highway. He knew they had a captive and the cop may be suspicious because the car was going very slow. He expressed his concerns to his fellow kidnappers and they held their breath as the patrol car came closer and closer. But they gained luck when the officer passed along without much glancing at them. Then reports state the driver pulled the car into a shopping plaza and tried to work under the hood of the car. But then one of the other men took over the wheel and then stopped in the nearby cities of Irving, Koppel, and Keller before heading back to Irving to drop off one of the men at home and to switch cars, in which they carefully and forcefully transported Lisa into and continued to drive down the highway. And then this is where things took an even more graphic and sinister turn. Reports state that after the kidnapping of Lisa and being on the road for so long with her, the males figured out by now they had to kill her because she knew too much. But as the journey continued and as they were hatching a plan on what to do with Lisa, one of the men thought of a grotesque idea. A report states, the man asked Lisa, quote-unquote, do you have a boyfriend? To which Lisa replied, no. And then the man asked a fellow passenger for two condoms, put them on, and then raped her in the back seat of the car. Lisa screamed in horror the whole time. Two of the other men took part in the sexual assault afterward, and then the group continued down the road. Meanwhile, back at Lisa's residence, after receiving the panicked call from her, Lisa's sister Pearl contacted the police and told them about the call and that her sister was missing. She also added that nothing had been stolen and her door had been shattered. And to police, this seemed like what one detective said was quote-unquote flamboyant. According to an article, after Lisa's abduction became public, it sent many in the Arlington area in disbelief and panic. After all, Arlington was considered a pretty safe area to most people. And now that a 16-year-old girl had been brutally taken and her horrendous 911 call had been made public, it made many people want to find Lisa. A detective in the case gave an interview with local media regarding the case and said, quote-unquote, It's a very flamboyant, very overt thing for a little past eight in the evening to go busting in a glass door. They usually grab you between buildings or wait until you get into your car. This is a bit different. Then the report went on to say that the detective said Lisa's abduction was more than likely targeted and not random. 
Detectives got information from some other tenants at the apartment complex that they witnessed a tan or brown two-door Cadillac in the parking lot of the Renee apartment with a vinyl top and a license plate that said WD. They also said one of the men was wearing camouflage clothing, but didn't witness the break-in itself. When police questioned Lisa's family again, Pearl told police that when Lisa called, she told her to hang up and call 911, and that there was no one she knew who would want to hurt Lisa. When Stanfield and Vitalis were questioned, however, they had something else to say. Reports state that the brothers told police that they had made a man named Steve mad because he had given them $2,500 for their car, but never received the car as promised. They went on to say that they didn't know Steve's last name or how to contact him, but they knew someone named Little Mike, a.k.a. Michael Davis, that did. Reports state... Police found Little Mike in the county jail, and he said the Steve they were more than likely looking for was a man named Stephen Beckley. Back at the abduction, the males, Orlando Hall, Stephen Beckley, Bruce Webster, and Demetrius Hall, figured they'd have to do something to Lisa outside of Texas so they decided they'd take her to Arkansas. Reports state Orlando stayed behind and went to his sister's townhome because he figured the other males could handle Lisa. And then the rest of the males continued to hold Lisa captive and drove to Arkansas where they continued to sexually assault her for the entire drive down. However, back at the townhome in Irving, Reports state that on the morning of the 25th, by now the FBI had joined in the search for Lisa, and acting on a tip, they arrived at the Hall Brothers' sister's townhome at around 3.30 a.m. They said they had a warrant for Orlando Hall, but before they could find him, Orlando, after hearing the knock on the door, quickly fled to the attic and buried himself in installation. As the officers made their way into the home, one of the officers made their way to the attic, pulled down the door, and looked inside. They flashed their flashlights around, but didn't see anyone. And after further canvassing, they determined he nor the other suspects were there. But Orlando was indeed still in the attic. He just locked up. But by now, he knew the police were on to them, so he asked his relatives for a ride to the airport and flew back to Arkansas. Meanwhile, Stephen and Bruce made their way to Pine Bluff, Arkansas, early that same morning with Lisa, and made their way to Marvin Holloway's home. They told him they needed money for a motel room, and Marvin gave them $45. 
Reports state that after Bruce checked the group into the motel, he told Lisa and Stephen to hold hands as if they were a couple walking into the property. Then reports state the males forced Lisa into the bathroom and locked her in, tying her to a chair with a drape. The only time she saw someone was when both men took turns violating her. After they took their turns, they forced her to take a shower and sometimes gave her chicken and some candy. As the day progressed, Bruce left Stephen and Lisa alone, where reports state Lisa told him she was scared. And he told her he was scared too, that he was only doing this because he was allegedly forced and that when everyone came back to not look at him. But when Bruce came back hours later, he told Stephen, quote-unquote, the hole is dug. Later that morning, Orlando arrived at Pine Bluff and was told about the hole at a nature preserve. This time, he had his brother Demetrius in tow, and after they all gathered at the motel, Orlando, Bruce, and Stephen took Lisa out of the room to the nature preserve, with Demetrius staying behind to clean up any evidence. Reports state as they were leaving the motel, Orlando and Bruce were carrying a shovel, rake, and flashlights, while Lisa and Stephen held hands again and went to the car. However, as they made their way to Bird Lake Natural Area, where Bruce said he dug the hole, reports state that he got lost and forgot where he dug it. The male searched for a while for it until they gave up and headed back to the motel. They dropped Orlando off at Marvin Holloway's place, and then the others and Lisa got back to the motel. However, when they got back, a man that Bruce knew named Haywood King was working security at the motel. He noticed that after they parked, the males were carrying the shovels and flashlights. But Bruce was able to chat with Haywood and led them around the corner of the motel while Stephen ushered Lisa back into the room. By this time, since Bruce recognized someone familiar, the males in the room panicked. Stephen, by now, knew about the familiar security guard, and he kept peeking out of the curtains, getting Haywood's attention. Reports state Haywood went to the room and asked if anything was wrong, to which they said no and Haywood never saw Lisa being held hostage in the room. Later on the same day, a motel manager grew suspicious of the group, so they asked another security guard who lived on the property to check on them. When they did, the males didn't open the door all the way and told them everything was fine, and the security guard left. 
Now, since the guards had been to the room, the captors were shaken. So they went to Marvin's home, borrowed his car, and decided to change motels with Lisa again. On their journey to the new motel, a policeman noticed their car make an illegal turn and decided to stop them. The men in the car were terrified they would be caught, but reports state that Orlando, driving in a separate car, sped up near the car and spun his wheels, catching the officer off guard. The officer then left the scene and chased Orlando, letting the other three males get away. The males then checked into the new motel with Lisa, and Orlando walked to the new property after getting a ticket, and the car was impounded after it was found he was driving without a license. After he got to the motel, Orlando was tired of dragging Lisa around with all their plans failing. So he decided they needed a new, concrete plan. Nothing was going to stop them this time. Reports state the males tied Lisa up again in the bathroom, and Orlando put an ashtray on the handle of the door to alert them if Lisa tried to get away, with Stephen following and stacking a table and chairs outside the door so she couldn't get out. By the morning of the 26th, reports state the men decided to go through with their sinister plan. At about 5 a.m., Stephen walked with Lisa to the car with the others, except for Demetrius, who stayed to clean up the room. They then arrived at the nature preserve, where they found the hole Bruce had dug a few days earlier. They all started walking to the hole, with Stephen holding Lisa's hand. Bruce and Orlando were carrying a shovel, rake, and a container of gas. They then turned Lisa's back towards the grave and covered her with a sheet. Orlando then took the shovel and beat her in the head with it. Lisa made a desperate attempt to get away by trying to run as fast as she could. But before she could get too far, Stephen ran after her tripped over some sticks, and fell with Lisa on the ground. As they were on the ground, Stephen allegedly told Lisa, quote-unquote, don't fight it, and led her back to the hole. Orlando continued to beat her with the shovel, and Stephen joined in as well, until Lisa was unconscious. Bruce then gagged Lisa, dragged her to the hole-slash-grave, removed her clothes, poured gas on her, and then he and Orlando filled the grave, leaving Lisa to die.
Back in Arlington, by the 28th, police thought Stanfield and Vitalis were leaving more out of their story about Steve in the car. But then, the brothers eventually came around and confessed that Lisa's murder more than likely had to deal with a botched drug deal instead of a car deal. And that since they didn't produce the drugs and stole the money, that was more than likely the reason Lisa was taken. They also added the group of males who took Lisa were more than likely Orlando Hall, his brother Demetrius, and Stephen Beckley. After their confession, Stanfield and Vitalis were arrested for drug charges. Later on, during the search and investigation into Lisa's case, detectives stumbled upon the car witnesses at the complex saw during the night of the abduction, a bronze 1983 Cadillac. They traced it back to being owned by Orlando's brother-in-law, but it's not clear where it was found. When they found him at his apartment, he denied his brothers-in-law had access to his car. But reports state police were able to determine Demetrius Hall did indeed go to his brother-in-law's home for a few days before the abduction, and so did Orlando. And then the brother-in-law confessed, saying they had it on the night of the abduction as well. After getting the names of the suspects and all the evidence collected, Arlington police contacted El Dorado, Arkansas police for their help in finding the suspects. On Friday, September 29th, 19-year-old Demetrius Hall was located and arrested. And later that same day, so were 22-year-old Stephen Beckley and 21-year-old Bruce Webster. They were charged with aggravating kidnapping with bail set at $100,000 each. Police also had a warrant out for Orlando Hall, and the next day on the 30th, he too was arrested and had bail set at $100,000. During questioning, all of the suspects tried to play dumb and act as if they didn't know who Lisa was or what happened to her until Stephen Beckley sort of alluded to having something to do with Lisa's disappearance. Reports state detectives pushed him to tell what he knew because he seemed to have some sort of remorse about what happened. He said he'd tell them, but he was nervous because the hitman, Bruce Webster, and mastermind, Orlando Hall, could hurt him. When detectives assured him they were in custody away from him, Stephen started to talk and pretty much told police that Lisa was dead and they needed to go get her. He talked about how Lisa struggled, how they beat her, and about the grave they dug. He said Bruce and Orlando did most of the beating, and after Lisa was buried, they went back to the motel to shower while Bruce stayed behind to try and burn evidence. Demetrius and Orlando corroborated Stephen's story, 
and they both blamed Bruce. And Orlando even said this was all Bruce's idea. However, when Bruce was questioned and realized his quote-unquote family turned on him, he told police this was all Orlando's idea, admitted to being the primary hitman, digging the grave, and burning evidence. He then told detectives he'd take them to Lisa's grave. Reports state Bruce, detectives, and FBI agents went to the nature preserve on October 2nd, and after a short while, the grave was found. After Bruce told them where the grave was located, he was sent back to jail, and agents and detectives began to dig. After five hours, an agent finally came upon traces of Lisa when he accidentally scraped her leg while digging. And reports state that after the scrape, the agent and other officers began to cry because they realized Lisa was indeed dead and they had so desperately tried to find her alive. At her autopsy, Lisa was discovered to have ligature marks and defensive wounds with a gag in her mouth and her hands on her face. And even more horrifying, the medical examiner determined she had been buried alive and had breathed in fumes after having gas poured on her. After the discovery, all four males' charges were upgraded to murder, and Orlando confessed to his part in being the mastermind on October 5th. Also, because the group had taken Lisa over state lines from Texas to Arkansas, the crime became a federal case. The next month, on November 4th, 1994, the four males were charged with kidnapping resulting in death, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, traveling in interstate commerce with intent to promote the possession of marijuana with intent to distribute, using a telephone to promote the unlawful activity of extortion, traveling in interstate commerce with intent to promote extortion, and using a firearm during a crime of violence. After the indictment, the government announced in February 1995 that it would seek death sentences for Orlando and Bruce. Interestingly enough, Orlando and Bruce were the first people to face a possible death sentence under the then-new Federal Death Penalty Act, which became law just 13 days before Lisa's murder. At Orlando's trial, his mother pleaded for leniency because she and all of her children had suffered from abuse from Orlando's father. She said she knew Orlando and Demetrius had been in and out of the system, but she begged for a lighter sentence for them because of their psychological trauma. However, in October 1995, Orlando Hall was found guilty of his charges, with a federal grand jury recommending a death sentence for kidnapping resulting in death. 
He later received a life sentence plus five years for the other charges. In June 1996, Bruce Webster was also sentenced to death for kidnapping resulting in death, plus life for his other charges. Demetrius and Stephen, in exchange for testifying against Orlando and Bruce, gained plea deals. Demetrius was sentenced for kidnapping only and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Stephen pled guilty to kidnapping resulting in death, and he was sentenced to 30 years. However, the judge in the case said he ought to be executed like the others, but because he cooperated early on, that is why he got to plead out. Reports further state that Marvin Holloway was also charged with being an accessory after the fact to kidnapping and interstate transportation in aid of a racketeering enterprise because he was present at times and financed the crimes, but did not directly participate in the abuse of Lisa. In return, Marvin pled guilty and was sentenced to 15 years. The judge had harsh words for him as well and said, quote unquote, the hardest part for me to understand the part that our community cannot forgive, not completely, is the fact that you saw Lisa Renee in that motel room tied up. You saw Lisa Renee sitting there, praying for her life. You did nothing. It's not so inappropriate for you to pay a stiff price for so callous an act. After they were put in prison, Orlando Hall eventually converted to Islam and changed his name to Shakib Wali. He apparently repeatedly expressed remorse for his part in the murder of Lisa, but claimed his being on death row was an injustice because he had an all-white jury and that because he was black made them want to sentence him to death with no question. But there is no evidence of the jury being prejudiced against him. In 2007, Bruce Webster came close to being executed, but due to a loophole, he was granted a stay. In 2008, Marvin Holloway was released. In 2016, Demetrius Hall was released. In 2019, Bruce Webster's death sentence was overturned after he was found to be intellectually disabled and he still sits in prison. Also that year, Stephen Beckley was registered as a sex offender, and he will have to have this title until 2041. In 2020, he was released from custody. And on November 19, 2020, Orlando Hall was led to the federal death chamber in Terre Haute, Indiana. He was strapped to the gurney, and in his last moments, he said, quote unquote, I invite everyone to Islam. Thank you for giving me the opportunity for forgiveness. Thank everyone who's here, my family, my loved ones. Take care of yourselves. Tell my kids I loved them. 
Reports state that after he was done, his eyes welled with tears, and then the lethal injection began. And at 11.47 p.m., Orlando Hall was declared dead at the age of 49. After his execution, Lisa's sister Pearl told the press, quote, Today marks the day of a very long and painful chapter in our lives. My family and I are very relieved this is over. We have been dealing with this for 26 years, and now we're having to relive the tragic nightmare that our beloved Lisa went through. Ending this painful process will be a major goal for our family. This is only the end of the legal aftermath. The execution of Orlando Hall will never stop the suffering we continue to endure. Please pray for our family as well as his. End quote. The story of Lisa Renee's murder comes from the sources of the Sun the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, The Daily World, and others I'll put in the notes. All right. I know that case was a very tough case to hear. It is one of the saddest, most disgusting cases I've ever uh, researched and read about. Um... I know that many of you, or some of you maybe, have heard of this case because I have posted this case on 90s Crime Time a while back, and his case, Orlando Hall's uh, execution case, um, was controversial because he was executed during the Donald Trump administration, and a lot of Donald Trump, um, uh, I guess, what do you call him, (laughs) non-fans, Uh, accused him of and his administration of carrying out many executions before he left office. Um, That's how I pretty much heard of this case. But anyway, it's very grotesque and really sad and gross. And that's why I don't have a lot to say about it, because I felt like you heard a lot of it in the story. And all I pretty much simply want to say is most of the characters in this case are just simply trash, besides Lisa Renee and some of her family, because I do think, and even reports state, if her sisters, if it not her sisters, my apologies, if her brothers um, had come forward to police earlier, maybe they could have caught Orlando Hall and crew before she died, before she murdered, was murdered, before Lisa Renee was murdered, because they made up that stupid story about the car and um, turned out to be drugs. They had been in trouble for drugs many times before. They probably didn't want to go back to prison. And I also read the reason they stole that money from Orlando and crew is because they needed money for that lawyer. And I don't know if they ever got that lawyer with the money. I don't know what happened to the money or the drugs, but they were arrested eventually, um, Vitalis and Stanfield. And I'm not sure I forgot how much time they got for drug charges, but they did go away back to prison um, several times since Lisa Renee's murder. 
And I do think all of her captors are straight up trash. I don't care if they did get released early. I don't care if they got re- um, are still in prison. I don't care if they were executed. They're still trash, in my opinion. I know there's such things as redemption, but that was just heinous. They didn't even go looking for the, mer- the money from what I read or the drugs, even after they buried Lisa. They just simply were just angry people. And like I said, I do believe in redemption. Um, and I know a lot of people would think that this case was called for with the death penalty with Orlando and Bruce. But I don't know. I'm not going to say that. But I do think they all deserved to receive the harshest of punishment. Um, maybe Marvin, um, the 15 years was enough because he just financed. But then again, he did see Lisa Renee being killed captive. He knew the plans. He financed. He let them borrow the car. He knew about it. And as far as um, Chris, uh, what's his name? Steven? Yeah, he's told Lisa more than once. Apparently he was scared too and that he was scared of them in the interrogation. But sir, I think he could have done more than that. I think he could have saved her. I do think he could have saved her. And I don't know why the security at both motel, well, at that one motel, both security guards didn't check further or call the police. I don't know. They took them or their word. And I do think there were so many missed opportunities to save Lisa between the cops driving past them multiple, multiple times on the highway and all this and that. And I just think Lisa Renee could have been saved. She shouldn't have been taken in the first place or murdered in the first place. But I do think she should have been saved. And there were so many missed opportunities to save her. And um, this is pretty much all her brother's fault. They stole from the drug dealers and didn't realize how vicious they were and how angry they would get. And um, this is what happened. And this is just so sad and just Lisa Renee has such a future. She had a bright future, straight A's, wanted to be a surgeon back in her home country of St. Croix. And this is what happened. Scared to death, tortured, brutalized and murdered because of some stupidity from her brothers and those monsters who um, did this to her. And that's it. Thank you for tuning in to this new episode of 90s Crime Time. And I hope you found this story interesting. If you like what you heard and haven't done it yet, please leave a rating wherever you listen to the show if your platform has a rating system. Also, you can find 90s Crime Time on social media, including Instagram, Facebook, and sometimes X, formerly known as Twitter. Even though most content of the show is on Instagram, where I post more frequently. And, okay, on Instagram on 90s Crime Time, I've seen... um. A lot of my fellow podcasters have their fans. Well, they don't ask their fans, I don't think, but a lot of their fans repost their episodes on their Instagram feed. Like, hey, I'm listening to the new episode of this show or that show. And I would love for you guys, if you're a fan on, of 90s Crime Time and listen to the show and have Instagram, to just repost. If you see this uh, episode pop up, if you see Grim Ride pop up and you listen, just take a photo and share with your friends on Instagram. I would love the press and the pub if you still love the show. I know I took a break. Life got in the way. If you saw my Instagram, you see what, you see, you'll see what happened. Um, but I'm back. I hope, I ha- hope to have new episodes soon after this episode. But if you like this episode, just share with your friends in your Instagram stories or your post. You know, I would love the press, like I said. And um, with that, um, stay safe and healthy. Have a great weekend. And I'll see you soon for a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time. Mm -hmm.